Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're working together in this age of fulfillment to understand the faith and how to make improvements and, and walk better in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Should have done that before we started. Speaking of starting, I started out in early morning seminary as a kid, even though I only did a year of it. I continued on as a full-time missionary for the LDS Church in my late teens. I taught through it once as an LDS seminary teacher uh, when I was a young married man. And then after leaving Mormonism, I entered the Calvary uh, Chapel School of Ministry and went through the entire thing twice with Chuck, listening to Chuck Smith teach through it verse by verse. I've read and studied it nearly every day for the past 28 years, almost every day, and for the last 10 years or so, I've spent, uh, I have prepared and then presented two different 90-minute verse-by-verse teachings through the New Testament. What am I talking about? The Bible, that book, the Christian manual, or the Christian um, uh, map, depending on how you look at it. So many ways to read it, and so many ways people understand it, and so many ways people teach it and apply it, and so many diversions and divisions, not diversions, divisions over it, what it says, how to interpret it. I mean, single, just one passage, and you could split a room with it. It's unbelievable how much that book ca causes division in people's lives. We have people who say, every single word of the Bible you're holding in your hands is true. The Bible says it. I believe it. That's all there is to it. They say things like that. And they have a certain attitude toward living their Christian life. We have the people who say, you must take every word of it literally. They literally do. And there are people who spiritualize its contents, which is just as dangerous. We have those people who say it's just a big metaphor. We have other people say it's make-believe, that it's full of myth. We, on the spectrum of what people think about the Bible, it's amazing. We have people who call themselves higher critics. They're like PhDs and advanced degrees and study the actual manuscripts that we have in the language like Bart Ehrman and they criticize the Bible. And then we have other people who are at Harvard and Yale and they're studying it and they support every word of it. That book is so, uh, such a, a, a point of contention in the world today and it doesn't need to be. Um, we're working together on the show to try to help free the faith up now and in the future from the Christian craziness that comes from the Bible. I'm not going to talk about the higher critics and all their PhDs and all the stuff they say. They're in a different arena. They can say and do what they want. I, I don't care. I want to talk about from the grassroots, from the people who call themselves Christians, the attitudes that lend to this overzealousness and, and this, this attempt to push out practices and views that cause the world around us to say, 
I will never be a Christian because of the people like that. And, and, I, I, and I'm hoping that we can start to bring in some reason. Now, I'm not talking about human reason. I'm talking about the spirit moving men and women to just reasonably approach that beautiful book that we study. Imagine two sets of parents. You can do this in your own mind and just think about the people you have seen as the result of these two different sets of parents. Suppose there's one set and they're hyper biblical literalists and they take their children in and they tell them things that um, they have to believe and have to do and this is the truth and, and every word is true and, and you must live by these principles. These are the people who talk about witches needing to die and about spare the rod, spoil the child, and they beat their children, not understanding that the rod was probably where the word of God was attached to rather than uh, something to beat them with. And, or people, these groups, God hates fags. I mean, this, there's this, this certain mentality these, this fictional set of parents have. And when those parents bring it down upon their children, the devastation is palpable. I've seen it so many times. These people who are routed out by an upbringing of overzealous, fanatical faith based on interpretation of the Bible and application of it by their parents in the home. But then look at another set of parents who they love the Bible. They read the Bible personally. They may encourage their child to read it if they want to. And they share with that child biblical principles that are shared in truth with the fruit of the Spirit as they raise their young. I'm telling you straight up, the more literally zealous a... Uh, sorry, I just got a phone call. The more literally zealous um, a parents are with the Bible toward the raising their children, the higher likelihood those children will wind up being wackos or they will walk from the faith. And I've seen that so many times. So many of my personal critics who are out there who know me and criticize me personally, I know them personally and many of them, most of them, have children who have left the faith. Why is that? Because they beat their children with the faith and the tenets of the Bible, with the overzealousness, with the literalness. And by the time those kids are able to leave the home, they're ready to leave the faith too. This doesn't need to be. Now, I want to address tonight, I think I have the right because of how much time I have put into reading and studying the Bible and teaching it. And, and I have. It's not, that's what I do. So it's like you might be a mechanic, and if you work on Fords, and you work on Fords for 30 years, if you came onto a show, you would say, well, I kind of have the right to talk to you about Fords. I've worked on them. Well, this is my job. And so my job and my interest, my vocation and my vocare is studying the Bible and teaching it and presenting it. And so I think I have a little bit of the right, a little bit, to talk about it in a certain way. And I want to address the notion that the Bible must be taken literally. I just want to take this, this little notion, all right? And I want you to ask yourself, do you believe that? 
Are you under the impression? Now, I'm not going to go through Genesis to Revelation. I'm not going to even go just through the New Testament. I'm just going to take what the Gospels say, with maybe one or two exceptions. I'm just going to go with what the Gospels say. And I want you to tell me, when you read the Gospels, do you believe you should teach your children? And do you believe that Christians should believe that the things I'm going to read are literal? And should be practiced literally. So let's start off. Wendy has mined our passages and gotten them ready for the, scre uh, the screen. In Matthew 5, 29, 30, Jesus himself says, And if your right eye offend you, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offends you, Cut it off and cast it from you. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not the whole body should be cast in hell. All right, that's Jesus' teaching in the scripture. Should we take those literally? Should we tell a boy who has a problem with porn or is looking at uh, good-looking girls or whatever that he should pluck his eye out? And if he's using that right hand for something bad, he should cut it off? Is that what we want to suggest the faith is about? How about Matthew 5:42? Jesus says this plainly, "Give to him that asks you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn not away." That's a, a little passage, Jesus says. Do you believe that? Should we do this without exception? Uh, I live downtown with my wife and a homeless man walks up and says, I need your car. Let me have it. Can I borrow it from you? Should I just give it to him? Jesus there says I should. Now, you might be saying, well, we have to take it into context. Wait, that's not what Jesus says. There's no context that says, but, you know, use your reason and logic here and think things through in that passage. It's a passage and you either take the Bible literally or you do not. If you take it literally, then my friend wants to borrow $10,000 from me. He's a heroin addict. Scripture says, Jesus says, if he asks you, do give him what he asks. That's directly what he says. A biblical literalist should do that. You see, we have biblical literalists and scripture citing folks wandering all over this world, correcting everybody by and through the scripture. What do we do? Listen to them and their views and explanation of the scripture? Or do we trust in the fact that God gives those who believe on him his spirit to discern and to interpret those words and apply them to their lives today? Uh, you know, it's just so offensive when people of the faith have stepped forward and tried to take that Bible and use it as a manual of musts, when in reality is a, it is a map for individuals to let the Spirit guide them on on what it is talking about, especially in context of the setting, circumstances, time, and audience. How about another one Jesus said in Matthew 6.34? Take, therefore, no thought on tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring, uh, shall take thought for things itself sufficient unto the days of the evil thereof. 
Really, take no thought in our day and age for tomorrow. None at all. That would make for a very chaotic life, wouldn't it, in this, in this modern world? Uh, and that very chaotic life would lead to very unloving actions for people who rely upon us. If I'm a parent and I take no thought for tomorrow, I don't sign my kids' uh, authorization form to go to uh, uh, an outing. I don't make sure that they uh, need to see a doctor for a physical in order to play sports. I don't pack their. Lo- I don't go to the store to buy food for the coming week because they need it. All of these things are taking thought for tomorrow. And Jesus says plainly, "There, take no thought for tomorrow." This is where you can actually take biblical literalists and put them into a corner because if they say you got to take the bible literally this is the word of god every word of it you got to follow it all you got to do is read these to them and every time they'll back up well that's what they do well and it's 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 contradictory to what they claim you see we don't take it literally but people pretend to and it's just foolishness why even pretend We can't do it. We shouldn't do it. God doesn't want us to do it. He wants us to be led by the Spirit. And let this serve as a map, written words for believers to consider principles. Let's read a few more. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Should believers take that and say, I believe that and accept that fully? I think it's absolutely true, exactly what it says. And, uh, you know, we have people who have others in their lives that are very, very sick. They ask. They ask God, save my spouse. Save my child. Save my parents. They ask. Is it given to them in every situation? No, it's not. It's not. So if you take that literally and you teach it literally, you should ask and it will be given to you. That's not true. That's a flat out lie. It's a religionist lie and it's ugly because it damages people who want to know God and want to pursue him. And they have some idiot telling them, you ask and it'll be given to you. It says right there. So you, you believe that and you have something tragic happen in your life and you go to God. It's a really important moment and you say, God, I really need you in this one. God's will will be God's will. Jesus, what he says there, it has to be taken into context. How about Matthew 8, 34? Behold, it says, this is a a slight one. The whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. It could have been the whole city. The cities were small. Perhaps it could have been the whole city. I give that. But uh, Gergesenos, that's where this took place, uh, wasn't a small place. And the whole city is a, is a Hebraism. That's how they write. And the whole family's against you. The whole city came out. That's called a exaggeration. They do that. And that's part of their culture. You got to read that in there. Did the whole city come out? Maybe. I doubt it, though. There could have been a guy who had the stomach flu and he didn't go out. So when you read these things in Scripture, you don't take them literally. You use your reason and your logic. Consider the time, age, audience when you apply it. Matthew 27, 9. 
Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, of whom the children of Israel did value. Do you believe that? Is that literal? Is it absolutely perfect? Well, I got news for you. Jeremy the prophet didn't say that. It's a flat out. This is especially good for the King James onlyists because this is in the King James. And Jeremiah did not say that. Who said it? Zechariah said it. So we have it say here in Matthew 27 that Jeremy the prophet, that means Jeremiah the prophet, said this about 30 pieces of silver. It's not there. It's just not there. Now you could be a zealot and say, well, I believe what it says in Matthew 27, 9, that Jeremiah the prophet wrote this, spoke it, and wrote it. We just don't have it. Then I would say, well, do you trust the book of Jeremiah? Because it's not in there. You can't have it. We got to divest ourselves of the crazy literalism, the crazy fanaticism that goes on with religion. And I get how it happens because I've been that way. I've read things and I've said, wow, that's what it means. That's what it means. I should do that. How am I living up to it? You have to, if you want to be free in Christ, use your mind. God gave you reason and logic and, and, and an ability to think. He tells you to worship him with your mind too, your whole mind. How about Matthew eight twenty one? And another disciple said to Jesus, Lord, suffer me to first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now, have you ever read that and thought, man, that's pretty harsh, Jesus. You know, we're supposed to honor our father and mother. My, my father's dead. My mom needs me. I need to go bury my father first. Uh, and he says, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. You know, that almost sounds like a cult leader, right? No, it doesn't. You just take it into context. This was a message of Jesus knowing their heart and he was knowing whether they wanted through their heart to really follow him or not. And so he was saying, this is a matter of priority. You're going to follow me with everything you've got or you won't. The let your dead bury their dead was probably a, a proverb that they used at that time that had a very different meaning than the literal way that we would read it today. Nevertheless, I think you should hear that. Let's grab a few from Mark, Mark 9:41. for whosoever, listen, shall give you a cup of water, Jesus says to his disciples, to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Was, G was that absolutely true? The apostles are walking through a city, and there's somebody there, and they say, here, I know you're representing Jesus, let me give you a glass of water. And they do that. And they will in no way lose their reward. All right. You want to be a literalist? Then you could say that, that that's true. They could be mean people. They could be hurtful. They could be beating their wife. They can do everything. But they had a moment where they wanted to reach out with a cup of water and give it to the disciples. And because of that action, there are people who read that and say they did not lose their reward. Do you really think God works that way? Or is there some thinking to go on behind why Jesus would say that and what's behind it? These passages have to be considered in context. Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. 
that thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Of course, we could say, well, that was just to him. That was just to that rich young ruler. And Jesus was getting into his issue. His issue was his possessions. And so in that case, he's just talking to him. And, and I would say, okay, that's, that's a good way to see context. So I, we can take that literally. To him, that's what it meant. It's an interesting one, though, because Jesus says it to others, too. Sell all you have and follow me. So are we to believe that? Are we to go home and liquidate all of our earthly possessions, everything? Should I, should I sell all? It says all you have. Should I sell my shirt and walk around naked? God forbid, right? So you've got to use your brain. And because we are saying you have to use your brain, you know what that does? It makes the scripture more of a map than a manual because it's interpreted subject interpreted it's interpreted subjectively by the reader through the spirit if these cases we have to think and interpret it and we have to pull away from some of the interpretations that have been given us by our forefathers and leaders then we are proving the case that the faith is subjective and i try to make this point over and over again when we talk about such things this is an interesting one. It deals with the men who tortured Jesus and before crucifying him. And it says in Mark 15, 19, ready? You going to believe this? And they smote him on the head with a reed and they did spit on him and bowing their knees, they worshiped him. Do you take that passage literally? So they first spit on him, then they, they hit him, they spit on him, and then they worship him. Are you, are you supposed to think when you read that? Are you supposed to say, well, they, they weren't worshiping him in the sense of this is uh, the Lord God with us. They were just bowing down to him. And if you're to do that, then you're using your mind and you're interpreting the scripture and making it reasonable with your own brain, right? That's subjective. That's the Holy Spirit working on you. And I'm going to tell you, God through you with the Holy Spirit will give you this liberty to be able to subjectively engage with Scripture. And you can clarify things and understand them and, um, and, and work through them in a way that many of the scholars can't do for you. It's a gift. We don't hear that. We hear you got to go with what tradition says. Tradition has said some ridiculous things about Scripture. And, 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 and I don't go with that at all. I go with the Spirit subjectively as I read them. Listen to these passages from Luke that are talking about John the Baptist's uh, uh, parents, okay? Christians are huge on saying, they quote scripture, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's what they say. They say that until the law and the prophets it was impossible to keep uh, the law and be righteous. And as a result, all were sinful. And the only way for the Holy Spirit to move into an individual was going to be through faith on Christ once he shed his blood for the sins of the world. You got all that? Now listen to these passages. First of all, Luke 1.5, describing John the Baptist's parents. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of, court, of the course of Ibia, 
and his wife was of the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Ready? They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Walking, they were both righteous, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. How do you balance that passage, verse 6, with the Christian thing that says there's no righteous, none not, no, not one, and that uh, Jesus had to come and shed his blood before um, anybody could be deemed righteous? Is it true? Should we believe what it says? Should we take it literally? If so, what do we do about the other passages of Scripture that say there's none that are righteous and that nobody ever walked blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord, that nobody could do it, Peter says in Acts? You have to think. You have to balance it all. You have to use your reason. You don't just literally take what it says and you don't listen to the traditions. You have to think for yourself. Now, in the faith, we often speak of Jesus paying for sin, which enabled the Holy Spirit to dwell within us by faith in his name, and that nobody has the Holy Spirit in them unless Jesus has paid for their sin. And, and so what they say is that nobody in the Old Testament ever had the Holy Spirit in them. I've taught this. The Holy Spirit's just working on them. That's what we've always taught. So that's standard Holy Spirit 101 rhetoric. Listen to Luke 115. Talking about uh, John the Baptist, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He's a baby in the womb in utero. And the, Luke writes that the, that the prophecy about John the Baptist is he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is before Christ has even been born. John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look at, look at down another 20 verses. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe in Elizabeth leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's two before Jesus is even born that were filled with the Holy Spirit prior to his shed blood. Now we're talking about a major doctrinal division here because, oh, I mean, the great theologians. No, 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 no. Does it show you that God can do things outside the box? Does it show you that you can think outside the box? Then listen, Luke 167, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied saying, so right there in Luke chapter 1, we have three instances, and the word filled means filled to the top, if this water was to the top, Holy Spirit in both uh, John the Baptist in utero, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit before Jesus was even born. How is that possible? You got to think. You got to work it through how to accept this. Now to our King James onlyest people out there who claim the, claim the King James is the only proper translation. It's absolutely correct. It's epistemus verba, meaning every word in it is absolutely correct. And that the translators of it, they were inspired too when they translated it. Like Erasmus, okay? Listen to Luke 2.1, King James. And it came to pass in those days 
that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So our saving grace in this passage is that the Greek word for world here is not cosmos, but it's oikonomia, meaning that it's all the land or area should be taxed. But the King James translated it to world. They translated it that the the decree came out for the whole world. True or not. Then let me get to a couple biggies. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If any man comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's straight up. Tell me how. If you're a biblical literalist, how? The word hate there in the Greek is missio, and it means hate. And there's no getting around that. It means hate. So how do you take that passage? Here's a really tough one. Luke 16, 9. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus taught, I say to you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, so when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Can you explain that? We've taught it up, but, but can you explain that? How he says make friends with unrighteous mammon? So that when you fail, they will be there and usher you up to heaven? How do you explain that? And then how about a straight up literal contradiction? You ready? This is a literal contradiction in the same words. Jesus says to his disciples, you shall be betrayed both by parents, brethren, kinsfolk, and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. You got that? And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. In verse 16, he says, some of you will be put to death. In verse 18, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. How will you be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish? Is he, is he, are, we, are we supposed to think that we die and we have our hair? Is that what he means? How do you understand that? It's, it's a direct contradiction. Every time I teach it, I have to say, there has to be a different meaning to this, but it's certainly not literal. Let's go quickly to John. I'm going to wrap it up with John. John 6.21, a couple from there. It says, Jesus was walking on the water, and then it says, and they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land wherever they went. If you're a biblical literalist, what they're saying is as soon as Jesus got in the ship, which was in the middle of the, of the sea, by the way, the minute he got in, the Greek is immediately they were at land. I heard a radio pastor teach that they were transported <laughs> by the Spirit and that as soon as Jesus got in that ship, they moved immediately to land. I don't believe that. I think you just have to understand that they were saying that they immediately went to the next place they were, they were uh, uh, wanting to go. It's very simple. 
or you can make it magical and you can think that as soon as Jesus got in that ship, they were 20 miles, uh, uh, another port sitting there immediately. What about Jesus' words in John 6.51? He said, I am the living bread came down from heaven. Is that true? He's the living bread that came down from heaven. Bread? If any man eat of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then listen, three verses later. And whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him at the last day. Are you a biblical literalist? If you are, you got to take every word. Then you have to go along with the Catholics, at least with their doctrine of transubstantiation. And you have to believe that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Literally. Cannibalism. In order to be raised up at the last day. I haven't even touched on the Old Testament nor on the epistles where Paul says things like, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Does that mean that Paul can kiss his elbow? Does it mean that he can high jump to the moon? That's all things. How, how zealous and overbearing and ridiculous are you going to be when you read the, this beautiful book that has principles of peace and love and faith in them woven in through what was happening in that day? If you want to be literal, I can do all things through Christ, then you should be able to do all things, all things, and you can't. I can't. Nobody can, right? We're just scraping the surface here, folks. And it's time that believers start stepping out, defending Jesus and saying in their heart, saying, we don't need to be this way. We don't have to be these zealots that are foolishly living by these creeds and these ideas and opinions and attitudes that don't hold water with reason. They don't make any sense. In that way, we're going to help propagate the faith to people and rather than offend them and cause them to want to have nothing to do with it. We want to hear your thoughts, so write them below and we will talk about them tomorrow night right here on Heart of the Matter.